Welcome to the NAFCO Working Film Podcast. I'm your host, Edward Frank. NAFCO is an acronym for the Northern Appalachian Film Collective. We are a 501c3 nonprofit media corporation located in western Pennsylvania. NAFCO would like to thank its sponsors, West PA Systems, the Design Build Electrical Contractor for your 21st Century Home and Business, and Dakota, the Dubois Area Council on the Arts. If you'd like to become a NAFCO sponsor, send an email to info at nafco.org. Our guest today is Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is a friend of mine and a friend of NAFCO. He provide, he did a uh, film location scouting management workshop a couple years ago for a group. And we're talking him to, to him today about uh, location scouting and management. Um, so here's Charlie Brown. Say hello, Charlie. Hi, everyone. It's uh, good. Some of the people I've interviewed, I've had trouble pronouncing their names. <laughs> I can get it right. Uh, yeah, I have an easy name to remember. It, it's worked to my advantage uh, in the film world. Where, where most of the jobs that you get are uh, from people passing along your name. You've uh, worked on a number of major motion pictures. Uh, looking at the list, the Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. Uh, you worked on the American Horror Story series. Uh, you worked on... Uh, one that really stood out to me is working on Logan. Yeah. An impressive looking movie. Uh, tell me how you got started becoming a location scout or location manager. Um, I didn't, I didn't go into it with the intention of becoming a location scout or, or a location manager. I'm not even sure that I knew exactly what a location manager did on a film set um, before getting thrown into it. I had, uh, after college, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I had moved to New Orleans and I uh, had wanted to get involved in film and television production. And I had done a couple PA gigs, uh, like the kind of the bottom rung of production assistant temporary gigs on some reality television shows. And I had been an extra on some movies that were shooting in the New Orleans area. And I was sending out my resume left and right to different films that were coming to the New Orleans area. They had just passed the tax incentive plan in Louisiana at the time. This is probably 2003-2004. And I wasn't making any headway getting uh, a more permanent job as a production assistant with major uh, television shows or movies. So I eventually got in front into the office of a, of a very low budget independent comedy that was shooting uh, in the neighborhood that I was living in. 
and told them that I would work for free if they put me into one of the departments. And they said that the location manager needed some help, um, was overloaded. And I went to work in the locations department and the movie was called Flakes. Um, it was uh, made by Indigent and it starred Christopher Lloyd and Zoe Deschanel in a very early role for her and uh, Aaron Stanford. And um, it was a great learning experience. And the, the location manager on the film that I was working for was having some, some personal issues, I think, at the time. And I was left on set uh, by myself a lot and uh, got to <laughs> make decisions <laughs> for the department and some good and some bad. And I did the whole movie and by the end of it, they were paying me a little bit, not very much, but enough <laughs> that I could, uh, that I could get some food to eat and pay my rent. And, uh, when that movie ended, um, they put me into contact with Bill Doyle, who was working for Paramount Pictures at the time. And he was, uh, in town looking at potential places to set up shop for the curious case of Benjamin Buttons. And he had been traveling all over the world, uh, taking pictures and looking at different locales with David Fincher. And uh, New Orleans was kind of experiencing such an influx of production work at the time that all the people with experience uh, were unavailable and he needed somebody to do just some basic canvassing of the city for uh, as a potential locale for Benjamin Buttons to set up shop and so I went around with a a list of you know find me 10 different steak joints that from the 1940s or um, it, it was a, a big list of period stuff and he just gave me a couple weeks to go all over southeast Louisiana and look for the stuff and come back to him with a, a cache of just very basic pictures. It wasn't exactly location scouting per se, but more of canvassing. And it was stuff that helped uh, the people at Paramount and David Fincher eventually make the decision to bring that film to New Orleans. So, um, I forgot what I was going to ask you. I'm sorry. Uh, Quite all right. I gave you a word, a, a, a mouthful there. <laughs> I'm just trying to take it all in. It's uh, interesting. Uh, and so, you continue to pursue the idea of working in the locations department or did you try to get into other jobs as well well i mean i had been sending my resume out with the intention of working in the ad the assistant director's department because just from my experience as an extra on film sets it seemed like that was the place to get in to like actually be right in in the in the meat of where the movie is getting made. Um, 
But once it all started happening for me, you know, I did the canvassing for for uh, Benjamin Buttons, and then they left town to go look at some other potential places. But Paramount had another picture coming into town, and I kind of just rolled into that and stuff. That that movie was uh, Failure to Launch, the romantic comedy with Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew McConaughey. And I ended up uh, working on that movie as a, as a low-level scout and a stage manager for the run of that production. Um, and then Katrina came and that kind of blew everything up um, for people down there for a couple months or for more than a couple months. But for the film industry, it definitely stopped work for a little while. But then I ended up coming back into the city, uh, hired as an assistant to uh, a very good location scout named Marshall Vernay, who specifically worked for Tony Scott. Um, and he was kind of Tony Scott's personal scout. And Tony was uh, doing a movie called Deja Vu in New Orleans right after uh, Katrina. And so I was hired to drive Marshall Vernay around. At the time, Tony Scott was still shooting, I think he did it all the way up to the end of his life, but he still took his location photos uh, on old film cameras and you would have to run them to a developer that you paid to stay open in the middle of the night and sit outside the photo developing place and wait for the pictures to get printed and then take them back to Marshall's hotel room and we would paste them into manila folders to present to Tony Scott on set the next morning. And uh, Marshall is really the one that um, taught me how to take a photo, how to use a camera, the, the art of actually location scouting. He, he made me a much better location scout. Uh, and then when, when that film ended, Benjamin Buttons had decided to come and shoot in New Orleans and I went right back into that and now have the skills to actually go out and scout for picture on, uh, on that movie. Sounds good. Uh, in your workshop, you talked a lot about uh, Logan, which was uh, shot in New Orleans, mountains and all. <laughs> that. When you go out and uh, how does the process work? Does the producer or director give you a list of things to go look for and you go out and look for those things and bring them back like you say or how do you find the things that the director wants you to look for? Well, um, you start by knowing what it is you're, they, they want you to look for. It's usually a uh, you start by having a conversation with the production designer who um, who in most cases is it or or if the film's being done the way it's supposed to be done uh, is speaking for the director in terms of the look of the film and uh, that's usually who you're 
you're reporting back to as a location scout on a regular basis, showing everything. He's kind of a filter for the director in terms of the locations that are gonna be considered for the film. Um, and then you also have to have had a discussion with uh, a line producer or a UPM or somebody who is setting the parameters for where this production will be shot and what kind of time frame you have to, to shoot it in and how much money will be spent on it. Um, because those are all factors that you have to consider before you actually go out and start taking pictures of, of things. Um, and then, but once you have the parameters laid out for you in terms of what you're looking for, um, you come up with a game plan for, for whatever the location is um, and go out and try and, uh, you know, you, you try and make the best game plan you can and then try and follow through on that game plan. And if, if you find, find the stuff you're looking for, great. And if not, you alter the game plan a little bit or try a different area. Um, but you know, there's a lot of tools at our disposal right now. You can go on Google Earth and kind of see what things look like from the exterior. And um, most scouts are specific to a geographic area. I, I've done all my scouting in southeastern Louisiana. So I'm very, very familiar with that particular area and what locations are available for filming and what aren't. Um, and so you kind of, it, it's dependent on what each location is and what the, what the parameters for the production are. I imagine once you start doing a uh, location scouting for a movie, it changes how you perceive things as you're out driving around, you know, even when you're not working, you probably think, wow, that's a nice looking bar. Maybe I could use that in, in some time in the next movie. Do you, are you unconsciously or consciously building up like a, a, a file system in your head? Do you perceive things differently when you're actively uh, involved in location scouting? Yeah, yeah. It can be maddening for my wife um, when I'm, we're, we're driving around somewhere and I suddenly swerve off the road to get a better look at a piece of property from, from the side or something like that or come back around to see something again. Um, and it definitely makes you start looking at, at things better or, or not better, but differently. I, Notice, I started noticing uh, how old windows were on every house that I would walk past. And because, you know, the, the light looks different coming through a new window than it does an old window. And, um, and old windows with big moldings around them that stretch from ceiling to floor and older houses are much more attractive to production designers than, than little box vinyl windows. So I found that I would be walking my dog around the neighborhood uh, between jobs and like making mental notes of 
which houses in the neighborhood had original windows and maybe I should go look at those on my next uh, scouting gig. Well, uh, sort of in the same vein, uh, a group of us were measuring trees on the islands in the Allegheny River Island wilderness. And everyone else had, uh, was basically faster at shooting the heights for me. So they'd scope out all the tall trees right away for all the different species, trying to find the tallest of each different species. And so I started looking at uh, some of the not so spectacular trees, you know, hawthorns and, and little trees like that. And then once I started doing that, I found that every place I looked, I was seeing, ooh, that's a nice hawthorn, that's a nice sassafras or something like that, because I got into my mind the idea of uh, looking for small trees. Right. Trying to, the, <laughs> trying to find the biggest of the small trees like that. Right. Uh, there was quite an influx of people when you got started uh, working in the film industry in New Orleans. There's, uh, there's a film industry in Pittsburgh. It's not as, uh, as, activists in some areas of the country, but we're having a few movies and TV shows shot here. Uh, what kind of stuff in Western Pennsylvania would be attractive to uh, filmmakers, do you think? Um, you know, certainly the, the rural, uh, look of, of the area. Uh, NAFCO is based out of Dubois, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, the, the look of those towns and the surrounding wilderness and, uh, and the mountains are, are unique. And that's a look that, you know, is only in a certain part of the country. Um, I'm not, I haven't worked in Pennsylvania. I don't know um, what the, how the film commissions are set up or if, if there is a, a film commission that oversees that area specifically, or is it just groups like NAFCO that um, are kind of representative of, of the area's film industry? There's a, a statewide film board uh, there's smaller local ones. There's one in Erie and one in Pittsburgh, but for most of the uh, state, there isn't basically much of anything <laughs> official. Right. So what I, you know, my, what I've been thinking a lot about lately and what I've been talking to other location managers and location scouts uh, down south about recently is um what are what are going to be the the rules for film production coming back to life in different municipalities like i i know it's going to be a much different looking thing production that is in new orleans than it was pre-covid um and there are some you know, the, the municipalities want a smaller footprint out of 
the film productions because of uh, the potential spread of, of the virus. And the unions want a bigger footprint because they want more space for their individual workers to be able to do their jobs. So it seems like there are different sets of rules with contrasting objectives coming out that are gonna be governing film production as we move forward in, in the, the COVID world. Um, and I don't know that anybody has a handle on what different municipalities rules are gonna be. And you know, most municipalities probably don't know what those rules are until somebody puts the question in front of them as to what they're gonna be. So for me, if I was a producer of a project and considering um, Western Pennsylvania as a potential location for my project, my first question would be, well, well, what are going to be the rules for production? Will I be able to get a film permit in Dubois, Pennsylvania right now? I, I don't know. You know, like, and, um, and I think that's uh, the question being asked everywhere in America <laughs> as far as film productions go right now. I don't know that Dubois has a process for issuing film permits because right. we don't have any movies being filmed here. Sure. So I don't think there's film, film permit needed per se <laughs> because we're not filming anything here. Well, I would still, if I was a producer, then I would want somebody from the Dubois municipality to, if, if I was going to be filming in a location in Dubois, I would want somebody to be able to assure me that I would be able to do so uh, we've been on the streets talking with uh, people from the Chamber of Commerce about some projects we've been doing too so, uh, and my, my point just being that I think um, different locales are going to have different you know, a, a film crew is a lot of people, especially when you're talking about big budget studio projects, you're talking about a couple hundred people working in a very small space um, for a very long period of time and, and sharing things like bathrooms and uh, food spaces and, and all those things that we don't think about um, being part of of a movie production and you know not every municipality going forward is going to be super comfortable with having 200 people gathering on a single city block and making a movie so in terms of what could an organization like NAFCO do to potentially uh, be of use to movie projects that are looking for a home or a location, um, I think getting some clarity on what the rules would be for filming 
on location in, a, in, in different areas that, that could be potentially um, good for filming. Okay. Uh, what in your career working with the uh, movie producers, what's some of the oddest things or strangest things that have happened to you? <laughs> I don't want you to get in trouble with anyone, just in. No. in <laughs> So back when I was back on failure to launch, uh, when I was first getting my, my start in scouting, um, my, my boss told me to go and take some exterior photos of uh, a building on an old naval base. And she gave me the name of the road that the base was on. Um, but I was pretty unfamiliar with the area and should have asked some clarifying questions. And, um, and the place I was supposed to be going was not an active facility. It was a, 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 a closed down facility that, that was just an empty shell of a building. But I, uh, I got confused and went to an active naval base with a large fence around it that I didn't immediately see a, a guard booth at or anything and just started kind of climbed up to the hill on the opposite side of the road from the fence and started popping off pictures of the building that I thought was I was supposed to be at, but I was not supposed to be at that. I thought my, uh, my manager had cleared for me to be at and uh some some military police came out and asked me what i was doing and when i told them that my name was charlie brown and i was working on a project called failure to launch it set off some red flags and i ended up being detained and had to have uh the producer of the film contacted to vouch for me that i was not a part of some plot to get secret information from the Navy base. <laughs> well, I suppose that's part of the producer's job to <laughs> stray people out of jail. <laughs> uh, so you're not doing this anymore. Have you retired from the industry or just take uh, a break or what? I don't know that I've retired from the industry. I decided at some point, I, I have a small child, uh, a five-year-old who's starting kindergarten right now. And uh, a couple years ago, I decided that I wanted to spend more time with her. And one of the things about working uh, any type of film or television production, be it locations or any other department is that the, hours are very very demanding and i was finding that my daughter was growing up um without me and i thought that that needed to change so i uh i've made some changes and i've gotten to spend the last couple of years every day with her um which has been amazing um 
I think at some point I'd like to work in film and television again, but I don't know that I will ever be able to be the guy who uh, is handling your locations for 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and I'm hoping that while the industry is kind of like taking a moment to pause and reflect on what's safe and not that, that these unions will start looking at um, the production day and what that is and whether it's uh, a viable thing for people to be expected to work the hours that normal production crew work uh, and still maintain some semblance of a healthy life on the outside. And I think that that, that should be able to happen. And I know there, are, there is activism within the unions trying to make those things happen, but um, the way the current industry is set up, it, it, it's just uh, economically infeasible for these productions to do anything that's the their bare minimum is a 12-hour day and if anything happens throughout the course of that day to push them off schedule which constantly happens it quickly balloons well beyond 12 hours every day and there's been accidents with crew driving home after working you know too many hours over the course of a week and it just doesn't seem like uh it's sustainable for the people involved so i'm hoping that while we're taking a look at what kind of safety precautions we can make to make movies and television shows uh in the covid world we're also reassessing um just the the general practices of the industry in terms of how many hours uh, people are expected to work because right now it's kind of like joining the circus and I I uh, don't want to have to choose between my career and my, missing out on my child growing up, you know? There are some uh, younger people involved with NAFCO either directly, indirectly. Some of them want to get into the film industry uh, like behind the camera someone want to be actresses or actors uh what would you say to someone to think about when they're trying to break in right now especially in the face of the covid 19 pandemic what should they be doing should they be going to school should they be going to local productions what should they be doing um i would always suggest trying to get involved in local productions before going to school. Um, I, I think you, you learn how to do this by doing it. Um, and, you know, I think young creators are gonna be tasked with the, with, with figuring out how, what, what a production looks like uh going forward and and how do we do it with less people and less equipment and less exposure and still get the same kind of you know are we going to go to a to less locations 
for years this industry has been moving away from the the back lots and the studios and onto location as camera equipment has gotten smaller um and have we finally come to a point where we start returning to some of those spaces and what does that look like when we're shooting everything and all this ultra high def and you see the seams and all of the, the things you know so not that again you know when i was working on a american horror story i came on board that in season three and um which was the coven season with the witches and Prior to that, they had shot the entire first two seasons on a soundstage. They had never done, the production had never done location work up until that point. And I was astonished because I watched the first two seasons of the show and wouldn't have guessed that I was in a soundstage the entire time. But it can be done. Um, and I'm wondering if we're going to see more of that and what that means for smaller, uh, lower budget, localized productions. And should we start telling smaller stories to, to uh, minimize our exposure and those kind of things? What you're, you talked about the first two seasons was shot in a soundstage and the third one was shot at this uh, mansion, a location. Uh, there are certain problems with shooting on location, like there's not room in a lot of the rooms to put all your camera equipment and stuff like that. So how do you manage to merge uh, locations with uh, the practicalities of shooting a scene? Yeah, well, to be clear, like the third season of um, American Horror Story, the exteriors were shot on location. We still built the interior of that mansion on a soundstage so that walls could be moved for for camera position and that sort of, and lighting position and that sort of thing. And that happens a, a lot in filmmaking even in the location era, you're frequently matching uh, an exterior location to an interior set that will be built in some warehouse nearby. Um, so yeah, the when you're when you're shoot when you're looking for a location and you're going to be shooting inside of that in an interior in that location you got to be thinking about a space being almost double the size of what it of what you would see in the frame of the camera because you need everything on the other side of the camera to fit into the space as well so um you know, one of the kind of tricky things about location scouting for interior spaces is that you're always looking for the bigger version of what it actually is. Like if, if you're shooting uh, like a, a lower income person's small apartment, you can't actually go to 
the lower income person's smaller apartment because that apartment would probably be too small to fit your camera in and do anything interesting. So you're actually looking for a bigger space that could be dressed down to look smaller. Um, and you're always looking for tons of, you know, the, the interior spaces in the movies always have tons of uh, exterior light pouring in. There's always lots of windows to play with that add dimension to the space. And in reality, a lot of us spend our lives in spaces that don't have great lighting streaming in through all the windows and whatnot. So while you're able to mimic reality more closely when being on location, you're still altering it in terms of we have this uh, look for reality that is the reality of the movies and television. Um, and it's, it's, it's still altered from, it's not a documentary, you know. Unless you work for David Simon, which I did, and then you go and shoot in the small apartment regardless of what it looks like and um, live with it. <laughs> All right, uh, we've talked quite a while now. Uh, what would you like to say or what should I, should I have asked you already that I haven't asked you? Like some, some brilliant concluding remarks here about how you're going to like uh, take over the world or whatever? No, I'm not taking over the world. I just would like to uh, tell the, the younger people that you were talking, you were referencing earlier, the people who are involved in NAFCO and um, are looking to start a career in the industry to, um, you know, think outside the box of what productions have been doing for the past 40 or 50 years and um because i think i think we're with the streaming platforms taking over the industry and with covid uh making demands upon the rules of how productions will will live going forward i think that there's going to be a lot of change and i think um, people who are able to think outside the box and come up with creative new ways of telling stories and, and making content are, are going to be a valuable asset going forward. And I'm excited to see um, the new and creative ways the young people come up with uh, telling these stories. All right. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, I'll talk to you later. And We'll uh, end this interview now. All right.